Nicely done, Beef. When football fans everywhere cheer for their team, they're cheering for you too, because your savory snacks fuel the gridiron battle. With your tasty sliders, hearty chilies, and drool-worthy steaks, every option is an MVP. Most valuable protein. So gather around the TV and get cooking at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Well, Charlie, we took a little bit of a time off. I feel rested and relaxed right now. We did not have the Friday deep dig this past week, nor the Sunday coffee. Our last show was last week during the midweek, and now we come back to you and get ready for the stretch run of the season. Seven games left, and we all started this weekend against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Did you have a good weekend off? I did have a good weekend. It involved sitting on my back deck, getting the big green egg fired up, and watching football all day. So I got a full day of football, but you uh, you weren't satisfied to sit around the back porch this weekend. No, we went off the beaten path a little bit. We decided I've always been infatuated by the service academies, and I've always wanted to go to a game at Army, Navy, or Air Force. And it just didn't work out. We didn't want to go to the Northeast. We said, hey, let's, it's October. Let's try to go out to Colorado. And we went to see Wyoming and Air Force, which to me it was a great event to go to. And, you know, Sims is 10 right now. Wells is 7. And Sims is kind of infatuated with military. And right now, it was, so we, we just had a good time. It was a little bit different. You know, we're so in tune to the big stadiums and the huge tailgating scene. And they had a good tailgating scene there. I took some things away from there. First of all, everything was spotless. It was clean. The game itself, Air Force was 4-1, and one, Wyoming was 4-0. and oh. But the thing I took from the game was some, we hung out with some guys before the game, and one of the guys lives in, lives in Sacramento. One of the guys lives in New Jersey. The other guy flies B-2 bombers and lives in Shreveport. Okay, So they get back together twice a year, come back. There was a lot of talking during the game. There was a lot of conversations going on in big groups in the stands. More of a baseball kind of atmosphere? It really was. Now, they cheered when, when Air Force did well, when they scored touchdowns, and Air Force won the game. But, and this is not a disparaging remark about Air Force in any way. It was This very, is where you disparage Air Force? No, it was, okay. it was almost like a small college field from the standpoint of we want to win, but we're not going over-the-top crazy about wanting to win. You see what I'm saying? You didn't have a guy standing up, waving their hands and saying, hey, what are you doing? Why are you running your fullback dive up the middle for the 18th time? Well, if you think about it, too, if you think about the way that there's very few schools that set up the way, say, an Air Force, a Navy, uh, you could argue a Notre Dame, a private school, where most of your fans aren't local. Right. In the sense of there aren't a ton of Notre Dame graduates living in South Bend, Indiana, because most of their students aren't from there. I, I expect there are very few graduates of the Air Force Academy living in Colorado Springs. No, there's not. I took a couple things from the game. I like to go and sit and just be a fan and just watch the game, and I would go back. That's the thing about it. I would go back because I had a great experience. One of the things that was interesting to me was all the ushers were in uniform. They were cadets. All the people working concession stands were cadets or people that worked at the Air Force. So you use cadets in the concession stands. Absolutely. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, they 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 had everyone there was 
you could tell was a part of the Air Force that, that worked in concession stands and whatnot. And here's what I took from it is you had some of the brightest minds in the country and the lines were still long. And they took cash, they took credit cards. And, and I think it's, it's what's, what's interesting to me is, and I almost took a picture of this, you know, sometimes we get so hung up as fans. And I start thinking about, I think there was a message board post after the second game when I said something about working the concession stand, about what other school would have this. And then last week I think we saw an article with Greg Burns saying, hey, at Alabama we had 40% of our people who didn't show up, and they actually have people, 70 Alabama staff members that have been working concession stands and whatnot for their home football games. It's a problem across the country where you don't have enough staff members. But there they were fully staffed, and you still had long lines. And I'm not making excuses in any way. I'm just saying I think that's just one of the a sign of the times that we're at right now. Well, I have a theory about concessions, and I think that is arguably we have too many options. I'm not talking about Mississippi State. I'm talking about in any stadium. If you go to a new stadium like the Cowboys, they've got – a gazillion points of sale. You get your hot dog over there. You get your hamburger here. But if you notice what they do is they try to limit any one station what they do. Right. And I, I think if you – it would be really interesting to talk to somebody who is, you know, like Legends. Legends is the company that runs Concession State, Yankee Stadium, and for the Cowboys. That would be an interesting talk at some point is to talk about how concessions have changed. But, you know, it was a lot easier back in the old days when you went and your choices were – Snickers, M&M's, popcorn, or hot dog? The nachos. Yeah, the boy, the nachos. That was. But the hot dogs were really good. You hadn't didn't have a hamburger option, didn't have a chicken sandwich option, didn't have all the drink options. And I don't say that to make excuses. No, it's just you being an apologist. That's fine. No, because I think everybody in college athletics understands the big rival that they have is that backyard patio, the ability to watch the games and trying to make the game experience more fun and easier. But at the end of the day, along with your point, the options, you know, going to car transactions, the way everything is now. I mean, if you go to the Cubs game, I mean, there's cashless transactions. So I just think that it's amazing how and in today's world of instant gratification, used to it didn't matter if we stood in line for 15 minutes. Today, it's a little bit different. I'll tell you one thing real quick the Cowboys do that I like. They actually have basically an out. You, have you been to a Cowboys yes. game, right? So you actually go into the gate without getting into the stadium. Right. I mean, they've got a big outer perimeter. You go into that, and then in there they've got entertainment, drinks, and that kind of thing. And then later you go in. But you'll have people going in three and a half hours before the game because you've got all those things. It's really impossible to do in a situation where most universities are, where the campus is built around the stadium or the stadium's kind of wedged in the campus. It's something you can do when you take a big open area and put a stadium in it. They do that at the Rose Bowl, too. They kind of push that perimeter out. And then you've got the hills and stuff, and people can walk around before they actually go in the stadium. But anyway, that's just kind of my my take from the weekend. And, hey, I enjoyed it as always. I I love going out and seeing different things, and and I really had a great time. Didn't have tickets. I just walked up and bought tickets, bought my own drinks. It was not a situation I called in a favor. We just sat there as fans, and uh, i tell you what, I had a great time at Air Force. So we got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Mississippi State and Alabama with Chris Stewart of the Crimson Tide Sports Network when we come back. And then we'll talk to Reese Davis with College Game Day. He's the host of College Game Day, Muscle Shoals, Alabama native. And it'll be a great chance to talk to our good friend Reese Davis. And, of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. So do your insurance business with people you know. 
not some 1-800 number. If you have something that goes awry, and let me tell you something, when something goes awry that you need your insurance agent, you don't want to have to wait. You want somebody you can call. It's all about service and the great service of Farm Bureau. Back with a conversation with Chris Stewart of the Alabama Radio Network. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. A conversation with Chris Stewart with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus, four locations, three in the state of Mississippi. You've got the hub down in Hickory, Mississippi at the I-20 Hickory exit. You've got the location between Starville and Columbus. They're down in Summit, Mississippi and Pike County. Then over in Alexandria, Louisiana. Tracks Plus, if you're in the market for some forestry equipment, some of that Barco equipment, if you're looking for Saney equipment when you're out there needing an excavator or any kind of used equipment, see the fine gang over in Columbus, Daniel Bounds and Fred Fulton, Ken Crosby down in Hickory, Gresh Howell down in Summit, and Hoop Weems down in Alexandria, Louisiana. They'll have whatever you need in the forestry world or in the construction world if you need to move any kind of dirt whatsoever. And once again, this conversation with Chris Stewart brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. And so let's talk with our good friend Chris Stewart with the Crimson Tide Sports Network over in Tuscaloosa. And Chris, welcome to the show. Appreciate you hanging out with me and Charlie for just a little bit. And so what's the what's the mood yes, like? What's the mood like in uh, in Crimson Tide world right now? Is it is it a mood of despair? Is it a mood of focus? Because to be quite honest with you, even after that loss, all the goals are still out in front of Alabama right now. Well, yeah, but we're talking fan bases now. You know what that's like. You remember you, you're you're younger than me, but you remember Hee Haw? Oh yes. You remember the show here, Gloom, Despair, and Agony on Me? I mean that that's what we've been playing on Monday morning on everybody's drive into work or should have been if they had had he hauls uh bloom despair and agony on me saved that that would have been the tune but i think in the football building there's a sense of urgency that frankly nick saban was trying to get there before because he knew that something like this was potentially coming they hadn't played four quarters still hadn't played four quarters of football they've been really good for one or two uh maybe two and a half even her ball game so far, but through the first six, they hadn't played a four-quarter ball game, and it came back to bite them in a big way on Saturday. So as you look at that, a team still trying to work to put it together, what goes into that? Where do you see this team right now? Is it a team that just needs a little more experience playing together? Is it a team that's just got to mature a little bit? Where, where do you see this team? Well, I'll start by saying I understand fully that there ain't a soul that will or should feel sorry for Alabama. But the, the reality is this. You lost not only six first-round draft picks to the National Football League off of last year's team. Those guys were unbelievable leaders. So you know you're going to have to replace some physical talent, obviously. And you do with very good physical talent. I mean, these are four- and five-star guys that are coming in to replace them. But the leadership part of it is an element that you can't guarantee you can't factor in until they're actually in that spot. So these guys that are in that locker room now, haven't they haven't either identified who their leaders are 
or the leaders haven't gotten through to the other guys or the other, the other guys I'm referencing aren't showing that they're good at being followers yet. You know, Nick Saban always says you, when you're, when your team is in the right spot, you don't have to identify leaders because everybody's doing what they're supposed to do anyway. And last year, in what could have been the most, and probably was in many ways for every team in the country, the most trying season ever because of the pandemic and the limitations uh, and restrictions that were put on guys because of it, that team rose in an incredible way together and were fantastic in doing what they were supposed to at the right time without having to be told. He said they've never had a season like that where there were no issues at all in trying to get people to do the right thing. So here you are now, and that doesn't mean they got a bunch of guys running around, you know, buck wild, and it's a, it's a major issue by most people's standards, but it's it so far has not been a team that's gotten in lockstep in order to be as good as they can be. And when you are the team, when you're Alabama and you're the team that everybody is chasing, and I, I said this going into the A&M game, you know, A&M may not have the record in the spot that they anticipated in, in some key spots. They didn't have the personnel they anticipated having. But this had always been the game they planned for for six months. It was locked in, circled. They knew when the Alabama game was. They wanted it more than anything else. And so even though they had lost two consecutive weeks prior, that didn't change the fact they would be ready to play Alabama when that game came along. They got phenomenal play quarterback. They got excellent play everywhere else. Alabama wasn't at its best. And A&M, to their credit, did what they had to do, especially late, to win that football game. So um, not shocked by what transpired, but I think they are better understanding and hopefully better equipped and better prepared to handle what they're going to face from this point forward because – I think Mississippi State, obviously, by given by the fact they've beaten A and M, is a team that's among those left that's certainly capable of beating Alabama. They can't just think the switch is going to flip on its own. They've got to go take care of business, and I think they started that on Monday, trying to get it the right direction again. Chris, you mentioned Texas A and M getting quarterback play. You guys saw a different quarterback than what we saw last week, and we said, "Hey, yeah. he was a guy that may figure it out." But you know, flipping the script and talking about Alabama quarterback play, you mentioned some of the guys that left last year. Of course, one of the guys is starting with the New England Patriots right now, Mac Jones, and now you look at at what Bryce Young has had to inherit and in coming in. We talk about Mississippi State with Will Rogers, Bryce Young, also very young. That's the thing you have to think about in today's world, that instant gratification of fans. But then you look out yeah. there, and what you're going to see on Saturday are two guys who are still very youthful at quarterback. How has Bryce Young come along as a quarterback, and where do you see his quarterback play? Well, he's, he's got phenomenal talent. He's got phenomenal skills. He's got great speed. He's got great poise. Um, even though uh, the outcome wasn't what we wanted and the stats may not have been collectively what you wanted to see from, from Bryce Young on Saturday. I think there are a number of situations you can point to where it's easy to go, okay, well, if you're looking strictly at numbers, you go, there's an interception in the end zone. There's also uh, incomplete passes. Well, the most crucial passes and the interception itself weren't completely his fault. In fact, uh, you know, Nick Saban said that the tight end is supposed to break that route off in the end zone. 
and that's supposed to look like a different pass and have a different result because the tight end didn't do the intended receiver didn't do what he was supposed to do on that play. Unfortunately, the same guy dropped the pass on third down with two and a half minutes to go that would have extended the drive and doesn't give Texas A&M a chance, perhaps, to drive down the field and score a touchdown. Now, that's not putting all the blame on one kid. It's just simply to show that you can't put all the blame on Bryce Young either. They are very pleased with where he are. Big picture. They're extremely pleased with where he is as a quarterback and what he's doing for this team. Do they want him to be better? Of course. Is he going to be better? Of course. But Alabama's record right now uh, at five and one, and I will dare say that even if it were to go to five and two after Saturday's game, won't be something you can pin exclusively on the guy who's taking snaps under center. No doubt. And you know, talk to Chris Stewart, the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And, Chris, I was listening to a, a show from, from the Dallas area, and they were talking about Spencer Rattler. And you look at Bo Nix, who's had some difficulties at Auburn, and then Derek King down at Miami, and then Bryce Young. In this new age that we have now with the NIL and fans kind of seeing these guys and what they're doing outside of the game, do you think that fans are putting – kind of undue pressure it's adding a layer to these guys and saying hey if if you're going to make a little bit of money on the side they have unreal expectations even more now guys i don't think the expectations have changed one lick i think part of the narrative maybe on the the part of the fans and how they're criticizing and the reason they're criticizing may change a little bit but there's no less quarterback on there's no less quarterback on Will Rogers today than there was on John Bond 35, 40 years ago. I mean, it's, it's the same. There's social media where it's, it's instantaneous. I mean, we know what this is like. The, the water cooler on Mondays at the job site is what you have on, in Twitter right now immediately if the game takes place. There at least used to be time to digest and gather your thoughts or take a deep breath, however you want to phrase it, before you, you blasted guys. When I said Monday is water cooler, we know that ain't true. In South, you're doing it on church on Sunday morning. But <laughs> it, it's the same type, you know, whichever way you want to go, it's not immediate. Well, now with Twitter, as the play is being run, people are firing out stuff with the rapid thumbs that they have. So uh, I don't think it's changed. I think the NIL makes it where – people are making these complaints about the performance of the players and then saying, well, you're getting paid. You need to fill in the blank. So that's what, that's the only thing I see that's different. The The pressure on the kids is no different. The, the, the narrative among those doing the complaining may change just slightly. I think my favorite player to watch on Alabama's team is Brian Robinson Jr. One, I just like his style yeah. of carrying the football. But I love the fact that you look out on the field and you see a guy who, in the day and age of transfer portals and everything else, has really waited his time out. Um, where do you see yeah. Robinson right now in terms of his development, what he does for this offense? First of all, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, to add another layer to what you're saying, he's such a loose kid. Played at Hillcrest. Um, good kid. Has done it right. It's kind of funny. It's Everybody talks about how Najee Harris could fly over people uh, with a with a single bound and, and the hurdling and all that. And there's a lot of guys already through six games wish that Brian Robinson would hurdle them and 
and not make contact. Instead, he just runs right over you. And uh, he's shown that he can be a little elusive as well with some of the cuts that he makes. He's, he's a tremendous league guy. Uh, look, it's, it's no secret. Alabama fans, Nick Saban himself, said that they probably would like to have seen him carry a few more times, especially in goal line situations on Saturday in, in College Station. So um, he is he's a really good story, really good kid. He's been really productive, and I think uh, will continue to be so, and maybe even more so as the season goes on. Chris, before we let you go, talking to Chris Stewart, Crimson Tide Sports Network. You mentioned Brian Robinson right there. And he talked about after the game about how the last couple of weeks against Ole Miss and then against Texas A&M, he felt like he had been in an actual fight. I mean, they had relied on him a lot. This week coming into this game, and you saw Alabama take to the air a good bit, and a lot of that was probably because Texas A&M had not been very good defending the pass in the first few games of the season. What do you expect to see this weekend? Do you expect to see Alabama continuing to do what they want to do as far as Bryce Young in the air with the wide receivers? Or do you look for that old-school style, steady diet of Brian Robinson? Look, they, they've got talent in the passing game. They've got a guy who can throw it, a guy that creates a lot of pressure for the defense when he drops back, whether that drops back on a straight drop or rolls the pocket. You know, Bryce Young's a handful. There's a lot to have to be concerned about if you're an opposing defense when he's got the ball in his hand. That being said, um, I, I think you will see more of the run game. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to say nobody's feeling sorry and I'm not trying to play the violin and oh, woe is me where Bama's concerned. But they are down to three scholarship running backs. They're all three running backs everybody in the country would like to have. But the, the fact is you're down to three. So you're in two of those are uh, either sophomores or freshmen. So you've got to be careful not to overdo it with with Robinson, but you got to get the other guys to come along. I think, you know, we talk about the run game, but we think of straight handoffs. When you really look at some of the passes that are thrown, some of those are swinging them out in a hurry that are almost extended handoffs. You're getting it into the hands of a wide out, but basically at the line of scrimmage, uh, or very close to it and trying to set things up for him to be able to, to break a run uh, or or run the ball pretty effectively after making that catch. So uh, it may not be the traditional pass game that you think of or that we all talk about, but there's still uh, some elements to that in different ways to to uh, to get in the hands of those guys who, who basically at that point become running backs. So here's where I think it'll be in a nutshell. It's going to be very similar to what you've seen. But I do think when Bama gets in, into the short yardage goal line shadow, you're going to see a whole lot more passing, or excuse me, running take place than you saw last week uh, until it gets stopped. Chris, appreciate you taking time. And, hey, look forward to seeing you on Saturday. I do too, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy talking to you and uh, always enjoy our, our pregame visits in the box as well, buddy. Chris Stewart with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And once again, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Four locations, Hickory, between Columbus and Startwell on Highway 82, Summit, and then down in Alexandria, Louisiana. So great to talk with our good friend Chris. When we come back, we'll talk to Reese Davis of ESPN's College Game Day. Right on the other side of the break, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And 
Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. And this segment brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, located on Highway 49 down in Florence. They have all the great flavors. The butcher shop, of course, a big tailgating weekend this weekend. State taking on Alabama. You've got all day to tailgate, and so you need a lot of food. And so go by the storefront down there. They've got a great butcher shop. Anything in there is good, but, of course, the best, the country-pleasing sausage. And, Charlie, we had the week off last week. Looking at this week, I could think of nobody any bigger than what game day has become and what Reese Davis has done with that show. Of course, Chris Fowler hosted that show from its inception, and then Reese took it over, what, six, seven years ago. He's a Muscle Shoals, Alabama native. He's a great guy, just one of the most unassuming non-egotistical guys and there's not many of those in this business and so we want to reach out and touch base with with Reese Davis and man let me tell you something as a kid growing up to me there was no better show than game day on Saturday mornings no it's absolutely great because it really filled a void there just wasn't anything there anything comparable to what they've done and now you've seen other shows we've got the SEC version you know things like that but there is nothing quite like college game day and just think about how long that show's been going on. I remember, as a matter of fact, when Kirk Herbstreet, it would have been in the 90s, late 90s, because I was a student at Notre Dame, when they came there for a Notre Dame-Michigan game. And I remember, of course, Craig James was doing it. Craig James was the first guy. And then Kirk Herbstreet was taking over. And I remember thinking, who is this guy? And we're talking with our friend Reese Davis with ESPN. He's the host of College Game Day. And Reese, appreciate you joining us. I know it's a busy time for you and – you know, it's amazing. We get into the college football season. We finally get fans back in the stadium. You guys with game day go back to traveling around the country. And we've been waiting on that weekend of mayhem in college football, and it seems like we got it this past weekend. But I think we've had it pretty much all year. I mean, this weekend was the definitive one up to this point, largely because Texas A&M beat Alabama. But, you know, if you look at it, I think 40 ranked teams have lost already this season that's the most in the poll era looking at this week you guys find out you're going to Athens for game day what's a week like for you guys getting ready for that show well the best way to describe it is people often ask how many hours there's no way to measure that um I understand don't break rock for a living you know we're not um you know doing something that is strenuous manually in terms of manual labor, but it is taxing mentally. But the best way to describe it is it's a lifestyle. And all of us love this sport so much and love the show and want to give the best show we possibly can for our viewers. And, and we have a lot of you know things that we really care a lot about in terms of topics that we want to talk about because we're excited about it. So uh, there, you can't really put a time on it, but just as I'm talking to you, I just got off a, you know, a call with Kirk and a couple of other guys that lasted about an hour while I was dropping. This is on top of a long text conversation that I have with Kirk about some stuff. And I'll do the same with Belika and with our uh, producer, Jim Gallero, though this week, our, one of our other producers, Jeff Brown is taking the wheel of the show, but most weeks it's Jim. You know, we just have constant communication and conversations and shaping and reshaping the show and, bouncing ideas off of each other and trying to come up with the best possible uh, storylines and topics and, you know, tapes and all of that kind of thing, everything that we possibly can. You know, Bart and I get to spend some time kind of in the studio. We get to spend some time 
kind of out with people doing shows, and then we get to do some play-by-play and analyst work. I'm curious. You, I mean, you've done a little bit of everything and do a lot of everything for that matter. Somebody once said, is it kind of like choosing between your favorite kid? Or, you know, how is it for you when you look at the different roles? Do you have one that you kind of relish doing above the others? There's no better job in television for me than hosting college game day and being, you know, in a in a prominent position for the sport that I that I love so much. But I do I do love doing the games also. But I, I think my strong suit um, and what my career has been built around is in a host role. So you know I, I love doing game day every Saturday morning. Um, there's nothing better than that. But I will admit, I, I even miss being at the command center of an entire college football Saturday the way I was for, um, you know, 16 years and, you know, full-time and 17 in total uh, in studio. That was fun, too. So, you know, all of the roles, but I think I've been, I've built my career around hosting. I certainly, you know, I'm confident in my play-by-play abilities. I don't get to do it as much as I used to when I was doing Thursday night games weekly. But, you know, I still get the opportunity to do it some. And when I get that, those opportunities, I really enjoy that. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to be in the moment of a live event. Game day is sort of – game day is a hybrid. It is a live event show because we are very spontaneous. We don't have teleprompter. We don't use scripts. We just, you know, make notes and, um, you know, we know what we want to talk about. We prepare. But, you know, it's not a scripted show per se. And so there's a, a live event element because of the crowd and the spontaneity that's required for that show. But there, you know, there's also a planned component to it. You plan when you call a game, as you guys know, but what happens in front of you is what dictates the storylines that you talk about. And so that's a little bit different. And I, I, I enjoy both of them, but certainly my strong suit and the thing that I have you know, done the most and probably am best known for if you want to put it that way, which I guess I just did, so I must, um, is, uh, you know, is hosting, and I love hosting college games. It's a lot of fun. Talking to Reese Davis with ESPN. Reese, along those lines, and Charlie alluded to it just a moment ago, we do a lot of our SEC Plus broadcast, and one of the things that we try to tell people a lot is, and they don't understand, that radio, you can control everything. From a TV side, you have director, producer, someone in your ear the entire time. You're essentially just in the pilot seat trying to go from one thing to the other. Once the the lights come on and the cameras come on, how is the craziness in the background? Are you are you getting a lot of channeling throughout the broadcast that you're having to go from one thing to the next? Well, I mean there's there's some of that. That's part that's certainly part of the job, and I sort of look at it as a good host is not um, you know, he's not just uh, a tee up guy, you know. I I joke the producers tease me a lot because I when I hate it when they say, you know, tee this guy up or tee that guy up. I'm like, look, if you want somebody to just tee up a discussion, you can you know go you can go to an aquarium and hire trained seal. Anybody can do that, you know, and just say, you know, what do you think of this, Fred? You know, anybody can do that. Uh, a good host, a good host is prepared and part of the discussion, but also knows where his area of expertise stops. You know, I'm never going to argue with David Pollack about hand placement for a defensive tackle rushing. But we can argue all day about, you know, who Oklahoma should play at quarterback or whether a coach should have gone for it on third or on fourth down or whether he should have 
you know, kicked a field goal or not. All those things are fair game. But a good host is prepared and engaged but knows where knows where he should seed the ground in terms of the discussion. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time that is in the, you know, the technical areas and, and those types of things and things that would be experiences within the locker room that Kirk and Desmond and David have that, um, you know, that and, and Lee has that, you know, maybe uh, a host wouldn't have. You know, growing up in the South, obviously it's kind of like almost in your DNA for us to be college football fans. But I think about what you guys have done with College Game Day, and you've created the, the, the pinnacle of college football shows. I told Bart earlier today, I think the thing that you guys have done that is so valuable to me is you've exposed me to different parts of the country and the traditions in different parts of college football I'm curious if, as a Southerner yourself, and if you were giving guidance to those of us who have bucket lists and things like that, what is something we need to get out and see in college sports that may be getting away from the South? That's, I mean, that's that's a great question, and you're, and you're right. I am, you know, I'm a Southern guy. I love the SEC and the passion for it in the South, but there are other places where they love it also. Um, I think you know, there are some obvious ones. Everybody should go to Notre Dame. If you're a college football fan, you should go to Notre Dame on a Saturday afternoon. And, and actually, you should go on Friday and walk around that campus and, and soak it all in and then go on a Saturday afternoon inside that stadium and see the Golden Dome and, and Touchdown Jesus and the, those helmets sparkling. You should absolutely do that. I think you should go to Austin Stadium. It's a small stadium by comparison to most SEC places, but they call it the House of Loud for a reason. And, you know, the, the fans are right on top of you there. That's a, that's a tremendous place to see a game that people ordinarily wouldn't think of. University of Washington is a great place to see a game. You know, Nebraska, uh, there are, you know, there's just a passion in other areas and traditions that are, that are cool there. For some reason... I like the dudes at Oklahoma State with the big paddles and they bang them on the side of the stadium <laughs> on the rubber mats on the side who just make the dampening noise. I always get a kick out of that. That's another stadium that's a, a cool little spot where the fans are right on top of you. But, you know, there are a number of them. But first on the list to me would be Notre Dame. I think Austin Stadium at Oregon's a great place to go. And obviously, you know, if you get a chance to go to Penn State for a wideout, which is, that's as good an atmosphere as there is for college football. Wideout, night game, Penn State is amazing. It may not be as loud as Death Valley and Baton Rouge when they're good or Texas A&M when they're about to upset Alabama. It might not be quite as loud, but I'll tell you what it is. It's constant. It's relentless. And that, that place, and I've been there several times for wideout games, the Auburn game this year for – Ohio State a couple times from Michigan, and it is relentless throughout the night, and it's really a, a cool thing, I, I think, the fans in the South. Now, ask some of your Auburn buddies that might have made the trip to State College this year. They had an abs- they were disappointed in the outcome, but they had an absolute blast up there and experiencing that. It was really cool. I wish you wouldn't have said Notre Dame because Charlie's beaming right now. He's a Notre Dame grad, so and he's been telling Is us. Is he really? Oh yes, oh yes. Yeah, I'll tell, let me, well, let me, let me tell you a quick story about about Notre Dame, right? 
right now that Charlie might enjoy. Growing up in the era in which I did, when I was, you know, in elementary school and grade school in the in the early to mid seventies, you know, Notre Dame broke Alabama's heart numerous times, and I absolutely hated them. Hated Notre Dame, right? <laughs> well, I still do. Well, finally, when I was when I when I was in school, uh, Cornelius Bennett separated Steve Berline from his senses, and it was a cathartic moment for all of us who had. Uh, grown up that way, and I thought, well, I've taken my vengeance on you know Notre Dame, but I still don't like them. Well, as fate would have it, as my career unfolded, probably some of my closest friends and allies and people that I count on are Notre Dame guys. Uh, I talk to I talk to Digger Phelps at least once a week. Uh, I talk to Lou Holtz regularly, and I'm very close to him. Uh, there are other names that you guys might not realize, and, and I won't drop their names, but guys who are either Notre Dame alums or Notre Dame connected that I consider some of my best friends on earth. And the long and short of it is that from a kid who grew up hating Notre Dame because of Tom Clements and the throw out of the end zone and, uh, you know, the 13-11 game and the uh, and the three-point game at South Bend and the 7 nothing game in Legion Field that broke hearts over and over and over, couldn't stand them, to an adult who absolutely loves Notre Dame and has some of my closest friends who are Golden Domers. So I, I, my animosity toward the Fighting Irish is absolutely gone. <laughs> I told you that Reese Davis was and the now, best announcer and now, out there. And now <laughs> – and see now you now you have to live with Charlie, oh. and I'm really sorry about that. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you, you talk about you talk about growing up and you know being from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and a few years ago, you and I and Greg Ellis and Coach Bob Knight all had lunch at Little Dewey. And we were all talking about different stories, and Coach Knight was talking about fishing, and you, you talk about Digger Phelps, you talk about Lou Holtz, and of course, you know Bob Knight, and you get to work with these guys. Who are the great conversationalists? Now, that to me, that's the great thing. Being around sports is hearing some of these guys tell the stories of of the past and understand what what the college sports was like thirty years ago. If you had to pick a conversationalist, who would you pick? Oh man, I mean, that's that's. I mean, I've worked with the guys you've mentioned, and obviously with LC and with um, just just speaking among coaches here, uh, Jim Calhoun, uh, who has become a very good friend at, at UConn. But I I would say that probably, uh, you know, probably for stories, it's really tough to be old. I mean, when when Lou walks into a room and in front of a people, here's a guy you know about five foot five now or something like that, sort of leans over when he walks and sticks a pipe in the corner of his mouth if he's going someplace and you think, you know, and he is self-described a bit of a, and yet if he gets in front of a group of people, it is absolutely fascinating to watch him take that entire crowd and have them in the palm of his hand in about 3.7 seconds. It's really, it's really a, an amazing quality that he has. And he's the same way when you talk to him, uh, you know, one-on-one. He's got great stories. He's got great sayings. And my uh, my wife often accuses me. She said, you know, if you didn't spend 10 years with Lou in the studio, I'm not sure you would know how to converse with people in public, you know, because I'll, um, you know, I in fact, this morning uh, I was laughing with my wife. There's a story. Lou and I pulled up for the Rose Bowl several years ago. 
and at the Langham Hotel in Pasadena, and it's one of those really nice hotels that we get to stay at the Rose Bowl, and there's a guy who greets you there to get your luggage and also to offer you a bottle of water or two. So a guy runs up, and he's all excited, and he goes, water, sir? The coach holds, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Lou doesn't drink water. And so Lou looks the guy dead in the eye, and he says, I don't drink water. I bathe in it. Water has no taste, and if it does, it's not good for you. And he walks away. And the guy was standing there looking dumbfounded because I don't think he was a football fan. He really didn't know who Lou was. And Mark May and I were absolutely howling sitting there. Lou was dead serious and walked away. So, you know, all of that kind of stuff that I've learned. And even uh, I told Kirk last week something that Bob Knight used to say all the time that I use regularly. Dumb loses more than smart wins. And that doesn't just apply to basketball. That applies to all sports. <laughs> Dumb loses more than smart wins. Every now and then you'll outsmart somebody, but most of the time, dumb loses instead. So <laughs> that's become my mantra now when I watch games. Dumb loses more than smart wins. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, Reese, we appreciate you. We know you've got a busy time, busy week. And, uh, hey, we appreciate you as college football fans about what the product you guys put together each and every week. All right, more cowbell, boys, more cowbell. Absolutely. Reese Davis, he's an Alabama grab, an outstanding person, and he's headed to Athens, Georgia right now for game day this weekend. Charlie, the thing I take from that conversation and the thing that kind of blows me away a little bit is when Reese just alluded a moment ago to we use no teleprompters during that broadcast. I was always assuming with as much action as going on with that show that you say have some sort of script. But, hey, those guys are kind of flying by the seat of their pants when they're out there on stage, but you would never know that. No, they're professionals. It, it looks like it's fun, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Doesn't it look like it'd be a blast to have that job? Absolutely. Well, that I, was, I thought you nailed it, though. Imagine trying to do his job with everything that's going on around you, not to mention the crowds, even without the crowds. Just how many people are involved in that show, that, that, that's quite a talent. So, Charlie, now come back. We'll have a final word as Mississippi State and Alabama will play at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Of course, we've got our Friday deep dig coming up on Friday, but we've got one more segment right here on the midweek show. It's out play of the Notre Dame fight song as we go out here in no. honor of Reese Davis? No, I'm not. I'm okay. not. I'm still disappointed in that. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Left Field. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field. Great conversations with Reese Davis. Charlie, busy week coming up. Alabama game on Saturday. You've got the Unwind downtown, downtown on Friday. The Brunch and Browse downtown on Sunday as well. A lot of great events as we always have. Of course, check out all the events at startwell.org, Mississippi's college town. Always something going on. Of course, down the line, you've got Pumpkin Palooza, which is a big event they have on Thursday nights at the end of October, October the 28th. Pumpkin Palooza presented by Chick fil A right here in downtown. And of course, every Thursday night, Neil Price and Mike Leach, they gather downtown Startwell and have dog talk from 7 to 8 o'clock every Thursday night. So, Always a lot of great things going on right here in Startwell, Mississippi's college town. Well, and the thing you mentioned going on this Friday, did you mention this? We got the baseball scrimmage? No, I did not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Friday, what, 5 o'clock, Mississippi State, Alabama with a baseball scrimmage. The weather is going to be 
nice, a little cooler this coming weekend. So that'd be fun to get out. Hey, um, speaking of baseball, I, I got a hypothetical for you. Okay. If Kendall Graveman was pitching <laughs> against Alabama in a fall scrimmage game, how many guys would he hit? It depends on Think how about it. It's Alabama weekend, too, in football, so he's probably a little amped up about that. He had a Brayu yesterday. Did you see that? <laughs> well, that that inside corner is mine. That's what Kendall's saying. He uh, Well, you talk about a pitcher needing to establish the inside corner of the plate. Look what Roger Clemens told us. You know, I'm not going to turn that plate into something 13 inches wide. I'm going to own the whole thing. <laughs> so you got Kendall and Hunter about to play each other in the ALCS right now. So, so we'll have a Bulldog in the World Series. Yeah, well, you'll have a Bulldog in the World Series. That should be a lot of fun to see. Of course, I hate to see Woody and those guys go out yesterday. Of course, they go out to the Braves, and all the Braves fans out there are excited. But I was a Brandon Woodruff fan in the that division series. The Giants and the Dodgers, they can beat each other up all they want to. I don't really care. Yeah, it's, I'm just kind of indifferent to West Coast baseball, to be honest. I am, too. Hey, Charlie, okay, so Alabama this weekend, 6 o'clock. We'll come back on Friday and do our Friday deep dig and really get into this game. But, of course, Alabama losing this past week. What say you? What's your theory? Are teams coming off losses? Is this a situation where they kind of knock back a little bit, there's blood in the water? Or is this a situation of Alabama, this is the week we refocus everything and they come out and – Man, we hate to be the team that plays Alabama after a loss. I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. We hate to play Alabama after a loss because I think Nick Saban is one of these rare characters who is able to have his teams focused. I didn't think focus is what calls him to lose to A&M. I don't think Alabama is as good as they have been the past several years. Now, let me be clear. They're still a very, very upper echelon football team. They're good but they're not so good that they can play poorly and make mistakes. And I think that's what you saw. And they've got a young quarterback, and that's not to make excuses. But, boy, it seems like we say that every week. There just aren't that many established quarterbacks in this league. So I think with Nick Saban, focus wasn't going to be a problem either way. I got Look, whenever you see his meltdowns, it's when he's winning as much as losing. So I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. I think it's going to be a hopefully a good college football game and – Look, we said this offense was going to take a step back along the way. They cannot afford to do it this weekend. No, not at all. Of course, as we said, we'll be back on Friday with our Deep Dig presented by Tracks Plus. Then back on Sunday, we'll talk all about State and Alabama on Sunday coffees. Well, it's great to be back in studio with you. and appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on this Wednesday afternoon on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.